Hello and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and my own mastermind is here with me today, Andy. What's up, Andy? Oh, I'm the mastermind behind you are. this You operation? get to be the mastermind today. <laughs> Big brain time. Big brain time. <laughs> yeah, even though it's not much of a compliment in reference to today's case. Oh, I listen, think it's, I'll, it's I'll, more of like a sarcastic... I'll take it where I can get it. It's kind of like when somebody... <laughs> It's kind of like when somebody calls you Einstein, you know? Yeah, smooth yeah. move. Yeah, I get, yeah, I get what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> Damn it. Continue with what you were doing then. <laughs> but either way, guys, uh, we hope you had, had some happy holidays and had a happy new year. We are back. Uh, we took a week off uh, last week. Uh, it was kind of unexpected, but, you know, hey, we, we, we need some rest, too. We need some rest. But we are back and ready to go, and we thought we would ease back into the crime with something uh, a little easier to talk about, right, Andy? This is not exactly a uh, Ant Heel Kids episode like we did on Patreon a couple weeks ago. Oh, there's nothing in this episode that's like just scarring my brain and just like clawing to get <laughs> not out. Not in this episode, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, guys, in our last episode of 2023, before we get into this week, we talked about all of our favorite and most memorable cases from the past year. But this week, to start off 2024... We're going to start with something a little different, but it's something that we've been itching to do for a long time. A oh, heist. Yes, my it's God, a heist. yes. But not just any heist, okay? No, no, no. We decided to start our year off with none other than the largest, the dumbest, and the most well-known heist from our hometown, the 1997 Loomis Fargo heist from good old Charlotte, North Carolina. Ooh, boy, Michael, we get to bring out them Southern accents <laughs> today, boy. That's right. Maybe take some some engagement photos. Oh, thank yeah. you. We should take some for this episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can't. We're not going to be able to keep these accents down uh, this week, Andy. I really don't think. Probably not. Uh, but guys, if you're unfamiliar with the Loomis Fargo heist, it was a robbery that took place in 1997, I believe, uh, when then-employee David Gant loaded up $17 million into a company van one night after his shift, only to then disappear into thin air, leading the FBI on an international manhunt for Gant, as well as a large-scale investigation into his accomplices which resulted in 21 people being indicted for the crime, 20 of which pled guilty. It's also the basis for the hit comedy movie Masterminds, which we referenced at the beginning of the episode, starring Zach Galifianakis in the leading role as David Gant and Owen Wilson as his accomplice, Steve Chambers. I really love that movie, Andy. I just watched it recently. Oh, it's still Again. one of it's a, actually a fun movie, especially if you're from this area. You're like, oh, I know it's, that. It's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, the movie was actually shot in Asheville, mm -hmm. uh, if you guys are unfamiliar, which I think Asheville makes a brief appearance in this case. I think one of the accomplices or something. It was the runs crime. To Asheville. No, it's the no? previous robbery that they found. The previous the, robbery. Yeah, there's another. There is another Loomis Fargo robbery that happened in 1997, yeah. but it w didn't make as big of headlines as this one did because this it, one was like an international manhunt uh, slash hillbilly yes. heist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. A hillbilly heist. Yeah, this is this sounds like our type of episode, Andy. We might actually pronounce everything right this week. God dang it, I think we might do that, but, Michael. Uh, but they do go to Mexico at one point in time, so we'll, uh, there'll be something we mess up. Don't worry. It, it's still going to be a good old True Crime Guys episode. But guys, how about we go ahead and roll that intro and get into this hillbilly heist, shall we, Andy? I think we can do that, Michael. A little beat, a little lust, and the timing is just... You and me. They call him a mastermind. A 
So we are going back to uh, what people romanticize as like a golden age, back to the 90s, right? It's, it's like people love the 90s now, Andy. Like all of a sudden, it was like this amazing romantic time of fashion and uh, booming economy. Listen, I'm from the 90s. I think it's the premium the premium decade. You okay? think so too? I'm a 90s kid. <laughs> I love the 90s. It's I us think... millennials uh, <laughs> producing this propaganda, I'm sure. Listen, 97 was a good year, okay? We got Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. We had it's a good, good year. It's a good year. It's a good year. But in the beginning of 1997, a Loomis Fargo employee in Jacksonville, Florida, held one of their trucks at gunpoint, making off with an estimated $18 million in cash. Now, unlike the robbery we're going to be talking about today, the police and FBI were able to catch up with this suspect, coincidentally, also in North Carolina, where he had stashed the stolen money in a storage unit in Asheville. Yeah, like that's the one we, rec- or we were referencing yes. earlier. It, it did is- go to Asheville, so. Exactly, the Portland of the East Coast. It's a nice area. It's uh, a nice area. Fortunately, <laughs> it is booming. Uh, fortunately for Loomis Fargo, they were able to recover all of the stolen cash from their Jacksonville facility in the storage unit. However, the same cannot be said for the heist that David Gant would pull off just a few months later. Now, we only bring up this previous robbery for Loomis Fargo as it's speculated by some that this was the event that perhaps inspired Gant and some of his friends to set their plan into motion. Oh, this was definitely talked around the water cooler yeah, for a while, they, Loomis. Yeah, they even referenced this in the movie. Uh, if, you, if you see this, the, the actual uh, Steve Chambers and his wife and some friends, including Kelly, uh, who's also involved in this, they're all sitting around you know, in the living room and seeing this newscast of this guy who robs Loomis Fargo. And they're like, wow, that... That seems like the gig. And mm-hmm. also, we can learn from his mistakes, right? How, how did he get caught? What did he do? And, you know, so, yeah, it could have very well inspired them. It had to have, right? This close, just a few months apart. Oh, yeah. Like I said, it was definitely talked around the office. Exactly. Now, others are more inclined to believe that the plan was hatched by one of the other main players in this story, Steve Chambers, who I just recently mentioned, as the movie would lead you to believe as well. He was a former small-time crook who had been friends with another employee of Loomis Fargo, Kelly Campbell, who also plays a main part in this whole ordeal. Now, David Gant was a former Gulf War veteran who had been working for the Loomis Fargo company for the past several years since leaving the military. He was married to his wife, Tammy, who kept David on a very tight leash. Now, David had met Kelly Campbell while working for Loomis Fargo the previous year, and the two of them quickly struck up a friendship. This friendship, however, would soon progress to include romantic feelings. Well, for Gant, at least, who, being love-struck with this new woman and seeing a way to get out of his life, would soon be ready to make one of the biggest decisions of his entire life. Oh, David was very much in love with Kelly, and I love the way they portray Tammy in the movie by Kate McKinnon, how she's just, like, so deadpanned and, like, creepy with her eyes never moving. (laughs) They, they like just the, took that opportunity to embellish a character, but I love it. Oh, it's, yeah. I love like the, They even show in the documentary of David and his wife going like shopping and like Tammy's like counting pennies and David like brings a comic book over. He's like, no. He's like, aw. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, they are not painting Tammy well in any of these documentaries. No, they're any of these not. <laughs> no, they're not. Not even in the movie. No. <laughs> She's hilarious, though. She's I love hilarious. their little bridal session they do or their engagement session they mm-hmm. do. <laughs> now, whether Kelly or Steve had first brought the idea to David... Uh, that can That's up for debate. But what isn't up for debate is that Steve Chambers was the real mastermind behind this whole plot. Steve would not only be the driving force behind getting the robbery accomplished, but he would also be the one who would get each and every one of them put behind bars in the end. The plan for the night was supposed to be a simple one. On October 4th, a Saturday, Gant would follow his usual routine and be the last employee to leave the Loomis Fargo facility. 
After everyone was gone, David would then enter the vault where he would pack bags of cash before loading them into a van. Then, Gant was to meet up with Campbell, Chambers, and a third accomplice who was friends with Chambers. They would then drive to a warehouse where the majority of the cash would then be transferred into blue plastic barrels. This scene looked like, uh, when I watched it, the documentary, it almost looked like a Breaking Bad episode. They bring out like the big plastic drums, yep, like the chemical yep. drums, start just loading cash into drums, just like Walter White. Burying like, oh. them somewhere. Yeah, I was like, I see where they got this idea. Yeah. <laughs> Even though this was before Breaking Bad. <laughs> I mean, I'm, that's where Breaking Bad got this oh, idea. Oh, you see just where Breaking put, Bad got the idea. Just scraping yeah, yeah. all the cash into big plastic drums and be like, yeah, we can't, can't, we can't fit it all. Let's go, go, go. Seriously. Uh, but Gant would take a measly 50000 from the 17 mil, this is this is the initial plan, and proceed to travel to Columbia, South Carolina with Kelly, where he was to then fly to Mexico and stay there until it was safe for him to return. Now, at first glance, this doesn't look like the worst plan for a robbery. But then again, this wasn't Ocean's Eleven either. So it's safe to say that there were a few hiccups along the way. I mean, it was kind of smart, like the 50 grand. I was confused about that. Like, why would yeah. it take 50 grand? Apparently, that's the, the the max amount you can take across the border without having to, like, declare it. Or, oh, so like, he didn't putting... stash it in his pants like in well, the movie? Well, he did, but, like, he oh, did. He stashed but, it in but like, pants. there was, like, if he got caught, it was, like, that's the most money you can bring across. So, it's, yeah. like, it wasn't going to raise any suspicions. But they did, like, they tried to plan. But, yeah, this was not Danny Ocean. I wonder how accurate the disguise was they used in the movie. <laughs> oh, he, <laughs> he did wig. not use it. He did not wear a disguise. He like, didn't wear a disguise no, at he's all? he's just in there just, like, mm. apparently he got, like, recognized at the airport and someone was like aren't you the he, he got recognized as like a famous tennis player he's like aren't you this like german tennis player he's like nope aren't uh, you andre Agassi? he's like no not even nope just eating a sandwich <laughs> oh my gosh okay so we know what the plan was supposed to be so let's see how it went down right so David went to work that Saturday, just as he had planned. But when he arrived at the facility, he was informed that he was being assigned a trainee for the day. Ooh, those trainees, they always throw a wrench in things. And of course, this trainee would be working alongside him all the way up until lockup that night. So now, David would have to delay his initial 5 p.m. start time until he was able to get his trainee out of the building without drawing any suspicion. Now, for his friends waiting on the outside, they were starting to get a little nervous thinking that David had maybe started getting cold feet or that he was about to back out of the scheme altogether. However, after a few loving pages sent from Kelly, because, you know, they had pagers back then. Mm -hmm. They were, you know, they would send those little pages. Uh, David started loading the van with confidence. Oh, the, the loving text messages? It was mm -hmm. literally, they were sending code back and forth. It was yeah. like, one, four, three, one, four, three. Just like the movie, one, four, three. It's just and a little thing like, I do. It's just a little thing I do. I thing love I you. Do. It means I love you because it's yeah, he's, one he's letter, four letters, the, three letters. He's in the documentary, like, looking at his pager. He's like, oh, I love you, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love you, Kelly. It's going to be me and you in Mexico. <laughs> but after almost two hours, David was finally ready to make his escape from the Loomis Fargo facility. He made a pass back through the offices and made a very valiant attempt to clear out all the security tapes from that night, as well as locking the vault door behind him and taking all of the keys to the facility along with him. He didn't miss anything, Andy, right? Oh, no, he took a shit ton of keys, I'll tell you that Yeah, much. he took a shit ton of keys. But no, he, he did miss something very crucial. Uh, we say he attempted to clear out the security tapes because as it turned out, even though David was a supervisor there at Loomis Fargo, he apparently wasn't made aware of all of the security cameras, which I'm sure none of the employees are. Oh, that's the manager. You can be the assistant to the manager, but you don't get that yeah. manager level. You don't get that manager level. That's the manager recorder, mm -hmm. right? That was the manager VCR he didn't know about. As he quickly ransacked the tapes, he failed to notice a separate VCR that was inside a cabinet in the office. 
This tape would be the first official evidence that would clearly show David Gant clearing out the Loomis Fargo vault all by his lonesome. And doing the dance, too. He did do that dance. The dance that Zach Galifianakis does in the movie but after he loads the truck, apparently that was an actual celebratory dance from David. Yeah, and there's a, there's a Reddit it. there's a Reddit AMA David Gant did where he openly says he was like, well, I did do the dance, the happy dance. They, they did get that right. It's on camera. It's on like the security footage of him just... <laughs> Zach had to like rehearse that over and over. He's like, is this good, Dave? Is this good? Like this? Is, this good? is it the spin and then the then twist? <laughs> Pirouette. Exactly. But once David was finished, he made his exit from the facility with over 2,000 pounds of cold hard cash in the back of a white unmarked van. You know, that thing was just dragging all the oh way out, God. just low riding. <laughs> Seriously, he, he filled it to the brim. Now, waiting for him, just like they planned, Kelly and Steve would follow David to the warehouse parking lot where they'd planned to hand off the money as well as for David to make his getaway. Kelly would then take David to Columbia, South Carolina, where he would board a plane to Mexico with the $50,000 he was now wearing under his clothes. This left Steve and his friends to try and move all the money from inside the van into the blue barrels that they had brought with them. Unfortunately, this was one of the first hiccups. The barrels were not big enough, or they just didn't bring enough barrels, to hold the cash. So the crew had to leave behind almost $3 million in smaller bills. Oh, that wasn't even the first hiccup. The first hiccup was as soon as David handed off the key ring to the guy in the back, He, he the guy in the back didn't pay attention to which key was the key of the van. And this was a key right. ring that's like the size of a ring light. It's like a, it's like a fucking <laughs> deluxe janitor's like master key ring. It's all of the keys. It's like 800 keys on this ring. And David's like, here you go. And just hops in the car and leaves. And this guy yeah. in the back's like, oh, shit. So they just sit there and they're trying to unlock this car forever. And it's very funny in the documentary to watch the other men start yeah. going total caveman and just picking up big rocks and trying to break the windows <laughs> of this armored van. They don't have time for this, dude. They're, it's it's very funny to watch these men just lose their shit because apparently they did to start trying to break it in. The guy in the back's like, what are you doing? It's right. fucking Loomis. Wait, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you going to shoot out the windows next? Yeah. But uh, another hiccup that these masterminds ran into was that once Kelly and David got to the Columbia airport that night, they realized that none of them have checked to see if there were any flights to Mexico. Like, kind of crucial. Oh. So, uh, yeah, there weren't any, Andy. <laughs> there weren't any. Uh, so Steve then told Kelly to drive David down to Atlanta, because, you know, for sure, in that larger airport, there'll be at least one international flight available at last minute's notice, and there was. So once David was safely on a flight down to Mexico, the full scope of what he had done was just now coming to light back home. Throughout the rest of the night, Steve and his friends cleaned out the van the best they could before they dumped it in a wooded area not even 10 miles from the Loomis Fargo facility that they had just robbed, leaving behind nearly $3 million in smaller bills, don't forget, but also the missing security tapes that David had taken from inside the office. <laughs> Each tape had footage of David Gant and David Gant alone clearing out the Loomis Fargo vault from all of the different angles. Oh yeah, they had all of the like, angles. It's like NFL red zone of security right. cameras. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, the police are at a loss, okay? They know that David Gant robbed the Loomis Fargo office, but they didn't know if he acted alone or where the hell he was. And by this time, the money had already been moved to the home of Steve Chambers, who lived in Vail, North Carolina with his wife, Michelle, in a mobile home. The morning after the robbery, David's wife would call to report him missing to the police. She told them that he didn't come home the night before and that she was worried that something might have happened to him. Completely unaware, however, that the police were about to be called to the Loomis Fargo office as well as begin investigating the theft. 
Now, since the Loomis employees were unable to open the vault the following morning, as David had literally taken all the keys, they had to call the police and a locksmith to come and basically break into their own vault. They had already noticed the missing van, as well as David's pickup truck that was still sitting in the parking lot. The movie would lead you to believe it's a, a Volkswagen Rabbit pickup truck, which I think it's amazing. <laughs> I would love to have one of those. It's like, where did you find this? He's, that is an adorable pickup truck. Uh, David was the one who closed up the night before, so he instantly became the number one suspect. An APB was immediately put out for David Gant, and it didn't seem to anyone that he'd pulled something like this on his own accord. And they started to think that maybe he had been coerced into the crime, or maybe even forced into the crime. Only two days later, however, the police would get their first big break, when a man out cutting grass spotted the missing Loomis van hidden in the woods. That's about the most North Carolina way to find something. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> Yeah, man, I was out there cutting grass, and uh, I looked over there to my left, and I said, "Honey, what is that? <laughs> what grass were you cutting? Oh, it was like... just out. It was about that warehouse down there. I just it was just getting overgrown, so I had to figure somebody needed to do it. <laughs> somebody need to cut it. And, and I and I looked out there, and I said, "Albert Darn, there's a van. There's a white van out there. There's a white van out there. You see it clear as day." <laughs> but the police would be unable to open the van once they located it due to the thieves leaving the keys inside and, of course, being an armored vehicle, so they had to have it towed to an impound lot where another locksmith could open the doors. Thank God for locksmiths. I hope it right. was the same one from the from the facility. <laughs> right. He was just like, oh, yeah, I'll be, I'll meet you there. Yeah, hold yeah. on. I'm, God damn it, running this bill up. Now he knows how to get into every Loomis Fargo vault, yes. even their vehicles. <laughs> Uh, but inside the, inside, the police were stunned when they found close to th the $3 million that was loosely thrown around the van, along with the missing security tapes from the office, as well as David Gant's uniform and service weapon. It was starting to look as if David wanted people to know that he'd committed this crime, or someone else wanted police to think that this was all David. Now, even though they had recovered millions of dollars already from the heist, the remaining 14 mil was still in the wind. Now, all this cash was in 20s, 50s, and 100s, and none of the serial numbers on the bills were in sequential order, nor were the bills marked in any other way. So this was going to make tracing the money almost impossible. Apparently, these were bills that they were supposed to, they, they take these bills to like ATM machines and reload them or clear out the ATM machine. These were not like uh, directly from like a bank vault. These were like right. almost in, these were in circulation bills. They'd already been taken out. So but you're they, telling they me this is the property perfect of the bank. bills to steal? Basically, yes, because these didn't come from the bank itself. These didn't come from a press. These came from a like a Loomis facility, which are always recirculating the ATMs and going back to banks and going right, back to right. different locations. So yeah, there was no way to track track these bills other than just like the brandings they had on them. Basically, exactly, exactly. So the police now had a daunting task ahead of them, trying to figure out who, if anyone, helped David Gant pull off this heist. So they began questioning everyone who worked with David, as well as friends and even old army buddies, to try and see if anyone might know why or how he might have done this. It wasn't long before other Loomis Fargo employees told police about a former employee and good friend of David's, Kelly Campbell. Kelly had worked for Loomis, but had left a few months prior to the robbery. Fellow employees told police that David and Kelly had grown quite close during her time working there, even as far as hanging out after their shifts. But when the police questioned Kelly about her relationship with David, she quickly told them that the two were, in fact, not close friends at all, and that she hadn't spoken with him since she had left Loomis. Now, this, of course, didn't sit well with the investigators, who at this point already had multiple witnesses saying the opposite. So the cops started focusing on people spending a lot of money. Oh, yeah, it's great when you walk up to somebody and it's like, oh, do you know, do you know David Gant? I haven't seen David. I don't know David. Don't Why don't you ask about David? David? I haven't seen David. Mm -hmm. David, David, what? Mm -hmm. Who David? Da Rabbit pickup truck? Never heard of him. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> Mexico? What? I mean, no, he didn't. What? Uh-uh. Robbery? What am I saying? Uh, but while running through some of Kelly Campbell's friends and acquaintances, police came across the name Steve Chambers, a small-time criminal who had already had a few run-ins with the police in the past. He had gone to high school with Kelly, and the two had remained close friends over the years. Steve quickly became a person of interest when just a few weeks after the heist, a normally unemployed small-timer moved him and his wife from their mobile home in Vail all the way to a $650,000 home in the exclusive gated community of Kramer Mountain in Cramerton, North Carolina. Yeah, that's 650 in 1997. That neighborhood, we, we know that neighborhood. It those is houses a, are well over a million now. Oh, those are clearly almost mill, oh, yeah. $2 million houses. They Which are, is a lot for the Carolinas. Oh, they are. <laughs> this is isn't a, California. <laughs> it is a like, fancy-ass neighborhood. I've had yeah. some friends. It's fucking fancy. Yes. I uh, I actually used to read meters uh, for that city, and I used to read that neighborhood. So I've been to literally every house in that neighborhood, and mm-hmm. it is incredible. They have a full country club in the middle of the neighborhood, complete with a golf course, pool, uh, putt putt. Oh my God! It's, Disc golf. It's 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 got it all. It's a strange like old money neighborhood, like the middle yeah. of like rural North Carolina. Kind of weird. And it yeah. really is just like on the side of a mountain. It's mm-hmm. like there's hardly any flat land other than like where they put the, the tennis courts and the pool and whatnot. It's it's pretty crazy. I do love the just pure impatience of Steve. Like he told everybody, oh, yeah. he's like, oh, we're not going to spend any of the money. We're going to hold on to it for for months, and we're going right. to wait till it gets. like two three weeks after he's gone. He's like, I mean. That's what if time, we right? just what if we just what if we blow all this money like a house? I mean, that wouldn't be suspicious, right? Like, uh, like a house, house right? No, no. Like maybe three, a couple cars. Like three weeks after this massive robbery, right down the road. No, 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 no. That would be weird, right? Mobile home to a house. The IRS doesn't even care. No, I mean, you got the cash. Why? Why, why would they care? <laughs> a mansion, rather, not a house. What's up, Creepers? This week's episode is brought to you by Factor. Factormeals.com slash Creeper50. Use code Creeper50. You might find yourself looking for nutritious, flavorful meals to fuel you on your jam-packed days, right? But time is of the essence. But that's okay, because Factor's got your back. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. They can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time. You'll stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Are you one of those prepper people? Huh? Are you a meal prepper? Cross the meal prepping off your list, and while you're at it, go ahead and cross off meal planning, grocery shopping, uh, prepping, cleaning up, all that stuff. And get Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals delivered right to your door. They're ready in two minutes. All you gotta do is heat it up and eat it up. Factor has calorie-conscious options that won't skimp on the flavor, right? Try delicious, dietitian approved calorie-smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. Or try Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. Let's go. Another thing I love about Factor is that they are 100% sustainable. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions and source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered right to your door. Ready in two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com creeper50 and use code creeper50 to get 50% off. That's code creeper50 at factormeals.com slash creeper50 to get 50% off. Go. You can pause the show. 
But wouldn't you know it, good old Steve paid cash for his down payment to his for his new mansion. And you know, as you do when you're buying a spur-of-the-moment dream home with all the money that you suddenly inherited, Andy, that's pretty much par for the course. Now, not only did Steve buy a new house with cash, but he also bought a new SUV, a BMW for his wife, thousands of dollars in decorations and art pieces, plastic surgery, including new breasts and a new nose for his wife, as well as purchasing a small furniture store in downtown Gastonia because you got to launder this money somehow, Andy. You got to find a way to make this look I think it's a little late for that. I think you're supposed to launder the money and then buy a huge home. Yeah, right. right. You can't just buy a huge home and be like, oh, uh, this is how I made the money. Yeah, he starts telling people in the neighborhood, like his wife's like, oh, he's like an ex-Cowboys football player, and oh. he's he inherited a bunch of money, and he's he owns these businesses in Texas, and like, I think the one of the neighbors, like the mayor of Cramerton at the time, she was right, like, right. oh, yeah, what's his name? When did he play for the Cowboys? And she's like, um, you, it was like a... It's like a wild because like apparently she was a big Cowboys fan. It was it was a farm team. She's like, I who who who? It was uh their Canadian team. It was you, you probably it was their minor league. Yeah, but they still get paid well. Yeah. Um. But no, Steve's close friends and family were also starting to spend a little more than any of them should have been. One of the heist members even went as far as taking three weeks off of work, unpaid of course, buying a new truck as well as a new Harley that he was constantly showing off to people. But the police narrowed their focus on Steve and his wife, Michelle. Steve wasn't one to travel or talk much outside of his close circle of friends, so it became difficult to find anyone who was willing to give him up. However, it was obvious to the investigators that Steve and his wife had recently come into quite a large amount of cash. Banks around that area began reporting to police that Michelle had been visiting different branches recently and always had been depositing small to medium bundles of 20s, 50s, and 100s. Even going as far one time and... We're seriously not making this up, guys. It's probably one of the dumbest things a criminal has ever said uh, to a banker. But she asked the bank teller, how much cash can someone deposit before you have to fill out any paperwork? Don't worry. It's not drug money or anything. Dude, she had like $200,000 in cash in like a suitcase. She's like, so... Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay. How much, like if I just like... You just tell me when yeah, you just, she I just can stop, okay? Just you just keep bundles. Don't worry, it's not drug when money. When I see not drug you money. reach for the paperwork, I'll stop, okay? Right? It's yeah. just, <laughs> how much is one of these little slips good for? Yeah. Uh, so now not only were the police watching Steve like a hawk for any kind of slip up, they were also watching his wife as well as Kelly Campbell. So via wiretap, the police were able to pick up on a call that mentioned David and his location. And the cops now know that he's alive. And they also learned that Steve and Kelly were supposed to be sending him money so that he could stay in hiding. However, they still don't know exactly where David is hiding. And they still don't have any physical evidence tying Steve or Kelly to the heist. Until one day when Michelle would make a major slip up. One afternoon, Michelle walked into a local bank to make another deposit, like she always did. In an act of pure carelessness, one of the bundles of bills that she went to hand to the teller was still wrapped in one of the clearly labeled Wells Fargo money wraps that still bore the initials of the Loomis employee who had counted the cash at the facility that day. Do you have any idea? That's what I'm talking about, the impatientness, like how impatient these people were that she didn't even like look at the bundles of cash she was bringing in. She was just like, here's some, here's some, here's some. Yep, that should be fine. I'll just count it when I get there. It's literally yeah. still labeled Wells Fargo. It's got the fucking bundle that ca- exactly how much money's that, on there. Right, right. But the the discipline that it would take not to dig into this cash, I mean, 
especially when you're a lower income family. You know what I'm saying? Like this, mm-hmm. it just could change their lives. And I don't know if they had children or not. The movie portrayed them having two children. I believe I they do. But, they probably uh, did. Yeah, it's one of the reasons you, you, we say it's, it's not Ocean's Eleven. They didn't have like a set plan afterwards. They just kind exactly. of all assumed. They were just kind would, of hoping they could buy some time and it would all blow over. Yeah, they're like, oh, once it's gone, if they can't find David, they'll just give up, right? right. And Insurance and, will cover the, the, the crime and, you know, no harm, no foul, right? So with this uh, careless deposit, the police now had the evidence they needed to actually tie Steve and his wife to this Loomis Fargo heist. So now all they needed to do was find David Gant. This is where things took a darker turn for the investigation, when police overheard another conversation between Steve and Kelly one night in March of 1998. Kelly called Steve, telling him that David had been calling her and demanding that he be sent more money because he's already run through the initial 50000 Steve, obviously not wanting to share the score of a lifetime, decided that David needed to be taken out. Steve went on to contact one of his associates and planned to have him fly down to Mexico to deal with David permanently. However, fortunately for David, the police had been able to tap Kelly's phone in the weeks prior and were able to listen in when David finally told Kelly where he was staying down in Cozumel. FBI agents were already on a flight to Mexico to apprehend him before it was too late. David was already suspicious of Steve, and lucky for him, he had actually been tipped off by one of the hitman's associates who had taken pity on David. Oh yeah, David's like, at this point, you can tell he's realized, he's like, oh, I fucked up. Like, I'm in Mexico with 50 grand. I just got took. And there's nothing really ensuring they're going to send me anything. There's no, no, they don't have to send me anything. So yeah, he, he kind of like talks to, like this guy has has brought him some money like once or twice, but like the last time he came down was like eight grand. He asked for like 50 more. The guy brought him eight. So like he meets the guy who's like one of the associates of the hitman, And the guy's just like, listen, man, I'm just going to leave you with this. They're trying to kill you. They're trying to kill you. you they're should, trying to kill you. They're, they're, they're gonna kill Good you. Good luck. They're gonna kill you. I'm yeah. just saying. You seem like a nice guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You don't seem like you really did anything wrong. I'm just saying. They're, they're trying to kill you, dude. I'm. Gonna, I'm just gonna let you. You do what you will. <laughs> exactly. But he got lucky that the FBI was actually listening to his phone calls. And on March 1st, 1998, David walked out of the hotel he was staying at in Cozumel and was immediately approached by three FBI agents. He has been reported as saying, "Quote: Are you an FBI agent?" Boy, am I glad to see you. Oh, he did. End the quote. guy, the, the FBI agent was like, are you an FBI agent? Yes, I am. Oh, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to see you too, David. You want to put these on? You want to put these on? <laughs> yeah, David was like shaking. He's like, oh, thank God. Please just take me. Please just take me. Right. <laughs> I don't want to die. Seriously. So now with David in custody, the agents had to quietly return him to Charlotte without alerting any news organizations to keep Steve Chambers and his gang in the dark about their little failed hit on David. Thankfully, they were able to smuggle him back into the States on a commercial flight, and no one knew he was even in custody. The following day, police and FBI staged a raid on Steve Chambers' home in Kramer Mountain. He had already been under surveillance for several weeks, and neighbors had begun asking questions about the constant cars in the area. Oh, this is a up. Uh, this is like a higher class neighborhood. People are oh, yeah. nosy as fuck. Oh, they yeah. showed the documentary. People just being like, literally, with like binoculars, looking over police cars. Like the mayor of Cramerton lives there. She's asking a bunch of questions to police right, all the time. Right. Yeah, and that's that seems par for the course. Uh, luckily, Steve was not an incredibly observant man, and he didn't even notice the large amount of police approaching his home that morning. <laughs> They came to the door claiming that the furniture store that Steve and his wife owned had been broken into the night before, and they needed to ask him some questions. Fortunately for everyone at the scene, he opened the door and both he and Michelle were taken into custody without a fight. 
It would be days after the arrest when the FBI searched Steve's home, removing nearly everything from inside the home as it was all purchased with stolen money and quickly moving to apprehend the remaining members of Steve's gang. Humorously enough, after the initial robbery, Steve had sworn all of his associates and family members to secrecy and told them not to say a word about the score to anyone. But as soon as Steve was in custody, this mastermind behind the whole operation flipped on each and every one of his fellow heistmates, as well as the other friends and family members that he used to open safety deposit boxes to help hide some of the cash. Oh, Steve was not a loyal man. Like it was not even like a, it was like, oh, you, who, who's, who's arresting me? Okay. So it was, okay, right, hold on. So, can I get a pen? Can I get right? a pen? It was, it was this, hold on. Okay. Hold on. I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you, right. don't, don't put me in the car. Don't put me in the car. I'll be right. Tell me. <laughs> yeah, put How me much the car. time off right can now. I get per name? Yeah. I'll tell you um, right now. Don't even put me, don't even have to handcuff me. I'll tell you right now. Let's go. You can take the Elvis painting. You can take the. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But on March 12th, less than two weeks after David Gant was found in Mexico, the district attorney indicted the eight conspirators on all charges of bank larceny and money laundering. An additional 13 others would be brought in on charges as well, mostly accessories to the crime. All eight of the members of Steve's gang, including David Gant, Kelly Campbell, and Michelle Chambers, were given sentences ranging from 6 to 11 years. Steve received the longest sentence of the group for not only orchestrating the robbery, but also attempting to have David assassinated while he was in Mexico. In total, there were 20 people who pled guilty to their charges, with only Steve's lawyer pleading not guilty, of course. At the time of this recording, each of the members of the locally dubbed Hillbilly Heist are all out of prison and have returned to somewhat normal lives, with David being a consultant on the hit film Masterminds, and Steve even opening his own gym in Lowell, North Carolina. Steve now considers himself to be a retired criminal who doesn't want to be in the spotlight anymore. Meanwhile, David has gone on to give countless interviews as well as a Reddit AMA session and has been the subject of multiple documentaries. Oh, that AMA session is pretty good, too. If you guys ever, if you guys, it's in the, it's in our sources below the AMA session he did. There's some pretty funny questions on there and he yeah. is, he is blunt of like straightforward with all his answers and stuff. Like he's, he's not really holding anything back anymore. He's very open about all this. Yeah, why not? Right. Embrace it. A little fun fact, remarkably, most of the money was either found or accounted for by the purchases made by Steve and his gang. But there is still about $2 million that to this very day is still missing. Maybe it'll show up, Andy, but uh, I seriously doubt it. I don't think it's ever going to show up in any kind of that no. same way that the last time did. And, I, you know, I know he'll never say, and I don't blame him, but I hope David got it. You know, I hope he buried it in a barrel somewhere. You mm -hmm. know, he was able to get one barrel away from them or something. Or maybe he went back to the van before he took off and got a little bit more, you know. You know I, there I, was three mil in there. Yeah. But that was probably recovered. That was yeah. all recovered in evidence. I feel like there's had maybe like Kelly stashed some for him or some. I feel like, they, I feel like David did get some. That's right. one of the questions in the AMA. It's like, where's that $2 million, David? And he's like, I don't know. I only took the 50 grand to Mexico. Same. And they're like, would you say if you knew? Haha, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's buried somewhere, man. That barrel was no. still buried or he's tapped into it now. But good for him. I mean, damn, he served his time, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, he was taken advantage of in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, to an case. extent. David I mean, was, you still got to make your own decisions, and he still put the money in the van and drove it out of there. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he's, you he know, left his wife. He left his life. He, he completely made this decision because he did. He thought, he's like, if I can do this, if I can pull this off, this is an entire game changer. This is yeah. set for life, millionaire on a private beach somewhere in Mexico, you know, with my with my new girlfriend, Kelly, and I'll never have to work again. I mean, it's he talks openly about how he had just, he had felt like he was stuck in life, how he was making like $8 an hour. He wasn't right, going anywhere. Right. He hated this job. It was really boring. So $8 an hour to protect millions. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a Crazy, hard job. Those guys talk about that being around that much money and having to like protect this with your life, and you're only being paid sometimes minimum wage to like twenty right. bucks an hour. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, guys, that is the story of the famous Loomis Fargo heist. It happened uh, right here in our neck of the woods, Andy. Right here. There ain't many. Uh, there ain't many crazy cases around here that make it to Hollywood. I mean, you know there was a, there's the ballad of Ricky Bobby. Wasn't that, wasn't that what real? The, like, <laughs> wait a minute. Hold on. I don't think wait, that was, I don't think Tyler Dagan Nights is a true story, Andy. Oh God damn it. That's yeah. my whole world. <laughs> <laughs> but guys, we hope you enjoyed, uh, this little break that we decided to take, you know, from darker topics and whatnot, this little heist. We like to throw these in here. These are some of our favorite episodes. We can joke around a little bit more, you know, be a little more lighthearted in the video and whatnot. And of course, it's always funny to have a, a Hollywood adaptation to pull from uh, for these cases. If you guys have not seen the movie Masterminds, please go watch that. I think you can watch it on, uh, it's on one of the streaming services, right? Is it Hulu? I think it's on Hulu. It might be. It's, it is yeah. very funny. It's yes. yeah, Zach Galvanakis, Owen Wilson, Definitely. Jason Sudeikis, yeah, Kate McKinnon. It's, it's worth it's a watch. Very fucking funny. Absolutely. Very funny. Worth a watch. I'll tell you what else is worth keeping an eye on, and that's Oh My Gaia, Andy. That is worth keeping a, a nose on. Mike. That is very true. It's worth keeping a nose on. Keep it in your sense, mm-hmm. right? Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. Guys, there's tons of scents to choose from. We even have our very own scent, True Crime Pine, that Wendy over at Oh My Gaia made just for us uh Years ago, when she first came on, it has our old school podcast logo. That is a great scent to choose from, but there are, or start with rather, but there are tons on ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. And because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the code word CREEPER for 15% off your order. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. You guys will not regret it. There's also um, beard oils and scented oils oh, I, I with natural them, deodorants. Them beard oils are great in the wintertime. They keep your beard yeah. nice and soft and smell nice. Absolutely. I recommend the beard oils. It's a good defense against this cold wind. Mm-hmm. Keep, your face, keep your face all nice and moisturized. And That's smell right. great. <laughs> That's right. Well, all right, guys. Uh, next week, we'll probably be back with something crazy, something dark, some other murder, you know? Uh, but we hope you guys enjoyed this case. And like I said, if you're unaware of the Masterminds movie, please go check that out. It is worth a laugh. It really is. And, you know, it's it's historically accurate enough. That's what I like to call. It's yeah, inspired it, it, by it's, a true story. It's inspired by a true story. <laughs> it's like that great Mitch Hepburn it joke. It's like, this movie, I saw this movie about a storm, and it inspired me to write this movie about a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> it's inspired. Hey. It's inspired by but it's not factual. It's exactly. not based on. Exactly. But guys, everything we told you today, as far as we can tell, is fact. Um, sources to every every article, every video we watched, all that good stuff is down below. Uh, Andy, did you also link the Reddit uh, AMA? Oh yeah, the Reddit, yeah, the AMA okay. is in there as well, as well as the, as well as the documentary that they actually put out for this. That's a pretty good documentary, about an hour and forty minutes long on this. Right uh, on. But yeah, it's a really good documentary. It's one of the main sources we used. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, check out that AMA. Check out that documentary, guys. Uh, if you want to know more. It is a fun case. Uh, these guys were legends, uh, where they were, honestly, uh, because, like Andy said, no one got hurt. You know, there were no murders, even though they did try to kill David. Uh, they didn't, right? You know, all's well that ends well. I love how they. Pre- I love Jason Sudeikis' character in the movie. Right. Yeah. I love how that how he doesn't end up getting killed, and I just love that crazy psychotic hitman. 
Um, but couple, yes, couple hillbilly heroes around couple here. Couple hillbilly heroes. Hillbilly heist. Right. Couple hillbilly heroes, baby. We got we got to go see where uh, Steve Chamberlain's gym is. Yeah, we'll right. Get to see if that thing's still there, man. Go get a membership. S- still open. <laughs> right. See if we can get an AMA with Steve Chambers. Right. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's pretty much it for this week. Uh, Make sure if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, like, leave a comment, uh, leave a suggestion. If you have a case that you'd like to hear us cover here on YouTube, please leave that down below. Give us a follow on social media at True Crime Guys on all of the things. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Other than that, I guess you just got to keep creeping. Yeah, guys. Have a happy new year. Keep going. Mm -hmm. 2024 is great for all of you guys. We're going to try and keep going as strong as we can throughout this year. Yeah. So yeah, give us some suggestions. Give us some things you'd like to see from us. We'd love to make this year the best we can. All right. Well said, Andy. Well said. All right, guys. Keep creeping. Bye. Bye.